And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Good afternoon. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, and today we're going to talk with Eric Scheidler, Executive Director of Pro-Life Action League. Eric is a second-generation pro-life activist. He was only six years old when his parents first got involved in the pro-life movement, shortly before the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court ruling that stripped unborn children of their right to life in 1973. Eric grew up attending protests and rallies, leafleting neighborhoods, and talking about abortion with friends and classmates. I am an attorney with a partner of the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago, We are Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. We do everything from zoning to estate planning, not-for-profit administration to religious freedom. You can find out more about us by going to maukbaker.com, that's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, or call 312-726-1243. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to keep up to date on the developments about faith and the law. But now I want to return to Eric and to a little bit of your background, Eric. I always like to introduce uh, my guest to the audience by giving a little bit of the background. It says that at six years old, your parents began to get involved in the pro-life movement right around uh, just before the time of the Roe v. Wade decision. Tell us a little bit about that and, and what happened. And for some of our listeners they may not even know what Roe v. Wade is about. So give us a little background here. Well, you know, uh, I grew up in a, a very uh, Christian household, and um, at the time that um, Roe v. Wade was working its way through the courts, there was a battle going on all over the United States over abortion laws. And uh, the history is very different from what we've, what we've been told. Um, the story that we, we hear today is that abortion was inevitably going to become illegal. It was sort of a natural charge of history that was going to uh, sweep this kind of reform, as they called it, through, uh, through all the countries of uh, all the, the states of the United States and, and also through all the uh, first world countries, as indeed seemed to be happening. But in the United States, in the early 70s, as state after state began to change their abortion laws, there was a pushback movement. The pro-life movement finally started to work very effectively on the legislative level. And it was a very strong movement pushing back against these laws. They were about to overturn a liberal abortion law in Michigan when Roe versus Wade was handled down. So it was all this um, battle going on around the country, including in the state of Illinois, where, where I grew up and where the pro-life action was headquartered. And on a Saturday in October 1972, before Roe versus Wade, my, uh, my mother and uh, father took my brothers and I to uh, a leafleting campaign down at the Civic Center in Chicago, which is now Daly Plaza. Uh, and we passed out flyers to try to educate people about abortion and about life in the womb. And one of the flyers had a picture of babies that had been aborted very late in pregnancy up in Canada where abortion had been legal for some years already. One of the babies in this, these were very late-term abortions, and one of the faces in this dumpster of babies that had been killed at this hospital in Canada reminded my dad, Joe Scheidler, of my baby picture. Uh, He saw a resemblance there, and at that moment, abortion became very personal for him. 
it went from being, you know, a moral outrage, something you didn't talk about, you didn't think about, that was just, you know, the darkest subject, to something that he became, in a sense, obsessed with. He began to study the history of abortion, he began to study life in the womb, and what we had already knew in the, in the early 70s about the incredible... Um, miraculous development of the child in utero. Eric, let me stop you right there. I hear a couple things. First of all, you're telling me you were six years old down at the Daily Center distributing leaflets? That's right. I was six years (laughs) old. My brothers were were five and three at the time. And if I'm not uh, inaccurate here, you're still doing it. Am I right? That's right. (laughs) All right. Now, let me ask you a question, and this is really important. I I love what you guys are doing. Um, I remember the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973. Um, I was 20 years old at the time, and I was a new Christian for about three years. And frankly, as much as I hate to admit it, I had no idea why it was wrong. Why is it wrong? Tell, tell our listeners uh, and those who don't know why this is such an injustice. Well, I mean, from the legal point of view, this is a nation that was founded on some principles, and we can find them very clearly written down in the Declaration of Independence, that every one of us is endowed not by the government, not by one another, but by God himself, by our Creator, with certain inalienable rights, rights that belong to us and cannot be taken away from us, that any government that would take them away is an unjust government. And the argument of the Declaration is, that's the situation with England. They're taking away our rights. We need to establish a new nation that will secure those rights. But these rights are fundamental. They come before government. They come before even, you know, the the relationships that we have with one another. Each one of us has these rights, and one of them is the right to life. It's the first one, the right to life. You know, I always ask this question. Um, Let me interrupt, and then I'll come right back to the question. This is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker with the law firm of Malk & Baker. Today we're talking with Eric Scheidler, Executive Director of the Pro-Life Action League. Uh, Eric, the right to life comes from where? It comes from God Almighty. It comes from our very nature. We are created with a right to life. Our lives have intrinsic value. It doesn't come from somewhere else. It doesn't come from what we might do in the future. It doesn't come from what we've done in the past. It doesn't come from who our parents are, how much money we have, or what race we belong to, or what sex we are. Our dignity, our right to life, comes from our very nature, created in the image and likeness of God. And the founders of this nation recognized this. They founded this nation to defend that right. Fast forward to... 1973, and the Supreme Court, in not one but two rulings on, on January 22nd, 1973, strips every unborn child in the country of that right to life. Now, some states had already changed their laws. There were a few states of like Colorado and New York and, and California, where in Hawaii, where abortion had already become legal. The Supreme Court took away, so in one level, the injustice is obvious. It's the taking away of, of the right to life. But this is also an attack on democracy. The will of the people was expressing itself in election after election in the early 70s, pushing back against these liberalization of abortion laws and restoring a right to life to unborn children. So it's also, that ruling was also an attack on democracy itself, on the will of the people. Oh, Eric, you're, sing, you're singing my song as a lawyer, as a constitutional <laughs> lawyer. I, I, the, the, uh, it was the court taking away the people's right to decide for themselves what their society will be like, and it's only gotten worse with the gay marriage rulings and other things like that. That is right. So that's um, let, let me fight. ask you this. As, as we go on with that, um, uh, yeah, obviously it's the, judici- the unelected judiciary uh, taking away our rights, and, and how serious that is a, an issue today, as you're absolutely uh, pointing out. Let me let me fast forward you for a second here. You're currently involved 
in several initiatives, one of them uh, being called uh, Peace in the Womb. I want to make sure our listeners know a little bit about this six-year-old who's now an activist uh, continuing. What are you doing? What is this Peace in the Womb initiative? Well, this started in 2003 when a friend of mine was talking about how very, very sad it would be to think about a woman getting an abortion around the Christmas season when we're hearing Christmas carols and seeing the lights go up and all preparing to celebrate the birthday of Jesus. And even though our, our secular society doesn't like to talk about it, we all know that Christmas, the words Christ is in there, is a celebration of the birthday of Jesus, uh, the day that um, the Incarnation was made manifest to us, um, the day that the secret Mary had been carrying, that this is the, the Savior of the world, has been born. Now the whole world knows, and the angels declare this incredibly joyous news. We celebrate hope, joy, peace, entering the world through the birth of a baby, a baby in humble circumstances, a baby whose pregnancy from the perspective of the world was scandalous, an unplanned pregnancy, Planned Parenthood would say. We know that Planned Parenthood would abort Jesus. This is that Mary and Joseph are exactly the kind of people that they are selling abortion to right now, people in, in humble circumstances, people who are displaced and so forth. So the contradiction between abortion and Christmas is, is, is huge, and we decided we should go out to abortion clinics during the season and start seeing Christmas carols. So we did that in 2003. On our very first caroling day, we were outside an abortion facility in Chicago's northwest side. Our final carol, we moved close to the side of the building and decided to really give everything we had to this last carol. And we had some good voices, but th- we really gave it everything for Silent Night, that last carol. As we were wrapping up and going to our cars, a young woman came out of the abortion clinic, began to talk to us. She told us she heard us singing. She thought about Mary and Jesus, and she couldn't go through with her abortion. Then I knew this is something we have to share around the country. And we began to invite, in a more sort of a casual way, invite other groups to join us and do this same activity. We've ramped that up in recent years as our network has expanded. And now we've got over 80 abortion facilities around the country where pro-lifers are going to be going out and singing these carols. We've been saving babies over the years. Already this year, three children were saved in Washington, D.C. during Christmas caroling there. So this is a very powerful way to bring that Christian Christmas message, I should say, to the abortion clinic to remind those most desperate people going into the doors of an abortion clinic that Christ was born and we don't need to be afraid. Eric, I love this idea. If people wanted to get involved in that in the Chicago area, are you still doing it here in this area? We've got caroling tours uh, going on December 16th all over Chicago and DuPage County, two different caroling tours. If you go to prolifeaction.org, you can find all the information out about the uh, locations where we're going to be caroling. Come and join us for one or two or three of those different tours, or maybe for all of one, all of, one of those tours in one of those areas. And um, we really encourage people to get involved with this because it's the kind of thing that, um, that really makes Christmas real for those participating in it. Because, you know, it's the one opportunity we may, we may have to really face down the incredible darkness that Christ came to shed light on, the despair at an abortion clinic in the midst of the Christmas season, and to see um, the power of the words of those carols uh, relating to the real life of darkness in the world in front of us right before our eyes. Coming up, we will be talking further about the empty manger. Uh, I'm Rich Baker. Uh, with the firm of Malkin Baker, and we're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. We'll be right back. I'm Rich Baker, partner at the law firm of Malkin Baker, and we're talking with the executive director of Pro-Life Action League, Eric Scheidler. Before the break, we were talking with Eric with regard to his initiative of 
peace in the womb, and I'd like to talk further about that, and specifically about the empty manger. Eric, tell us a little bit about what happens at one of these uh, carol singings before the abortion clinics. Well, one of the things we like to do to really emphasize um, the symbolism of what we're doing is to bring out a manger like you see, like a big Christmas crutch outside of a church. And we bring that with us as we go from abortion clinic to abortion clinic as a reminder of really of kind of two things. First, it's a reminder of the Christmas nativity story itself. And, and so many people, this has become a holiday tradition. We have the, the, you know, the Christmas crutch or the nativity scene or whatever you want to call it set up on the mantelpiece or under the tree or out in front of the church or even in places like uh, Daily Plaza where <laughs> great lawyers like you guys have been able to secure the right for people to have this sort of expression in the public square. That and is a uh, yearly fight, by the way, but yes, we exactly. do. So it, and then, you know, you place the baby Jesus in that, in that Christmas, uh, in that, that empty manger, um, you know, on, on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day as a, a sort of a, a representation of his birth. Um, from the Bible story. But the symbol is also a, a reminder of the cradle that would be there for each of these children whose lives is being forfeited through abortion. You know, where is the place for these children to lay down their sweet heads, you know, as we say in, in the song away in a manger? So we're trying to draw a connection again between the Christ child and these children who are facing abortion out there at the clinics when we're out there singing. Now, Eric, there's, as, as I hear you talking about this, these are very graphic images. Um, and sometimes Pro-Life Action League has been criticized for really being very explicit about what's going on. What is your thought on that? Well, you know, the Christmas caroling is um, sort of a different type of an event. It's not like the, the protest where we'll sometimes bring the abortion victim photos out into the public square. Though we do have that graphic representation in the, in the manger. Um, but... Uh, Considering the violence of abortion, considering that its victims are hidden away, this is what I think makes abortion so evil, going back to the start of our conversation. It's a killing of an innocent person in the dark, the darkness of the womb, the one place in all creation that was designed and ordained for children to be safe. The womb is a place of safety and nurturing for children, and it becomes a place of death for the most innocent among us, these unborn babies and boys and girls. And when we contemplate the nature of this kind of killing, uh, it's particularly horrific. And so to hide that away, to never expose that reality to the public seems to me irresponsible. Eric, when you say that, something comes to my mind. It is not only the baby who is killed here. There's something about the woman who has the abortion, I think. There's something dies in her. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. There's a tremendous amount of sorrow that goes along with choosing abortion. And many on the uh, the laughter, um, the pro-abortion lobby will try to deny this, but we hear the stories again and again and again of women and men, fathers too, regret their abortions, wish that they had never gone through with it. And so we're mindful of that. And one of the things we're trying to do when we go out and talk about abortion in the public square, whether it's just passing out leaflets or singing Christmas carols in an abortion clinic or showing the victims of abortion in the public square, is to spark a sort of uh, desire for God's grace and mercy. Um, people often will sort of try to bury in the past things that they're ashamed of, things they wish they hadn't done. Uh, Christ, one of the things he does for us is to break through all the, 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 the calluses that we build up around these things and to dredge up from our past these, these things that are causing us pain and misery so that he can expose them to the light of his forgiveness and grace. And 
provide his mercy to us when we ask for it. I think that's so a particular... Part of why we have to show the reality of abortion is to, is to initiate this call for God's mercy on the part of those who so much need it, and who will receive it if just they ask. So that's the Christmas message, isn't it? That God has come to forgive. And there that's is forgiveness right. for everyone. Yes, this is a, it's an amazing message. I wanted to turn a little bit because there are so many other things that you're involved in. You have been involved in the Fox Valley Families Against Planned Parenthood uh, movement for a long time. Um, tell me a little bit about that. How long have you been involved in it and what, what's going on there? Well, um, you know, there's... I hear you, by the way, take a deep breath when you do that. <laughs> You know, this has been a, a, a very long struggle for us. You know, Planned Parenthood moved into Aurora uh, with a deliberate program of deception. They told the state of Illinois they were one type of entity. They told the city of Aurora they were another. They got all kinds of money, tax-free, um, uh, ability to raise money tax-free from the state, and then they turned around and pretended they were going to be a medical facility that would be paying taxes in Aurora. And <laughs> if so I remember mess. correctly, Eric, they put in bulletproof well, windows in that medical facility. Am I remembering that right? Bulletproof glass and bulletproof drywall. They have infrared sensors. <laughs> they have cameras all over the place. It's it's a it's an abortion fortress. Yeah, that, an absolute uh, abortion fortress. And the community of Aurora has been resisting this ever since. We were able to stop them from opening on time. We called for an investigation. We sued them immediately upon their their opening. And we've got a, a case that's been dragging on. Yes, I've, for 10 I've years been a part now. of that case. Uh, I'm aware of that one. You're, you're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker of Malkin Baker. If you're just tuning in, we're here with Eric Scheidler of Pro-Life Action League, and he's talking about um, the Christmas season, uh, the initiative of Peace in the Womb, and, and currently we're talking about some of the other initiatives, including uh, one going on in Aurora. So give us a little update. It's been 10 years. You've been in litigation. I imagine you've been out at the facility on a regular basis. What? So how do you view this? What's going on? Well, you know, this is, I think, a microcosm of, a, of the, the national and even international struggle to defend children from abortion. In 2007, we had thousands of people coming out to city council meetings and speaking out, coming out to protests and going to community meetings in leaf-living neighborhoods. And uh, the head of Planned Parenthood at the time, Steve Trombley, said that, um, you know, in a, in a few weeks we're going to open up and all these people are going to go home and go back to their regular lives. And, you know, some of them did. He was right about some people, but... A whole host of people did not do that. They had the, the fire in their belly to save these babies even after the abortion facility opened. And so we've had a very vibrant, very active uh, pro-life witness out at that abortion clinic. We've saved over 100 children over the years through our direct witness, through being out there and offering help. Sometimes it's through singing Christmas carols. Other times it's through talking to those moms before they go into the facility. Other times it's... Um, simply because someone was standing and praying, and they'll find out two or three years later that there's a, a, a toddler running around because they were there one day and they didn't even know about it, um, that that child had been saved. So we've continued to fight this battle, and, and it's a long-term haul. We've had our ups and downs over the years. We've had conflicts with the police. We've had those conflicts resolved. We've had conflicts with the local businesses and with the community, and we've, we've worked through all of that and continued to be there. And, um, and that's really what it's going to take. You know, if you're looking for a quick solution to any of the world's problems, you're going to be disappointed. You know, God has given us this life to work out our salvation with Him, and to uh, and to um, to be transformed, and um, and in every way we can to show the face of Christ. And so we do that, even if it's a, a long and difficult battle. And you know, 
every time you go out to an abortion facility, for whatever reason, if it's to pray, to counsel, to sing Christmas carols, uh, to be there as some kind of a witness, you're doing something very profound. And kind of circling back to the Christmas caroling, you know, the stories of children being saved from abortion because their mom hurts silently, those are very moving stories. But most of the moms don't have that reaction. They walk right through those doors anyway. But we should never feel that's a defeat because we are at least singing carols for that baby. Think about that. This is a children that's going to die before Christmas. They will never experience a Christmas, even in the womb. But we will be there to give the child that little gift of showing that we love them and we care for them, even if nobody else does. And we give them that gift, the only gift they'll receive this side of eternity, of a little bit of human love. Um, Eric, I, uh, our show is coming near to the end. There are some other activities taking place. I believe in January there's a... Uh, uh, pro-life rallies taking place both in Washington, but here in Chicago. Tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. There's a very important event that's gotten bigger and bigger every year, the March for Life Chicago. If you can't make it out to Washington, D.C. for the big, huge March for Life there, or even if you are planning to go, come out on January 14th. We start in Federal Plaza. January 14th is the Chicago March for Life, and thousands of citizens of not only Chicago, but of the entire state of Illinois. We've got groups coming in from Indiana. Buses come down from Wisconsin and Michigan. It's become a regional event, a very big pro-life event. You're sure to feel very encouraged and enthusiastic. If you're feeling downtrodden because you're, you're kind of a lone voice uh, in the midst of all these cultural battles, not just over abortion, but over the nature of marriage, over the nature of our First Amendment rights, religious freedom, coming out to be with thousands of your fellow believers Speaking out on behalf of the truth is extremely encouraging. So I would really encourage folks to get involved. I just wholeheartedly join you in that. I've been to every one of those. It has grown exponentially every year, and it is a very encouraging thing. Um, Eric, we really appreciate you calling in today. How can our listeners learn more about Pro-Life Action League and get involved? Give me details. Well, you can find us online at prolifeaction.org. Uh, you can make a gift to help the Pro-Life Action League carry on this type of Christmas caroling. As you can imagine, to organize uh, over 80 caroling tours at abortion facilities around the country takes an awful lot of man hours, an awful lot of outreach to our local leaders. We provide them with caroling booklets, instructions for building a manger. We give them a uh, press release template this year for the first time, and we've gotten a lot of press coverage, really fantastic coverage out in Arizona in Tempe where they had a caroling tour a couple weeks ago. So all those tools are there for uh, all different kinds of activism, all different kinds of ways you can get involved. And one of those ways is to support us financially and, and of course, with your prayers. You can also find us on Facebook. If you go to Facebook, uh, look for the, the, the tag at Pro-Life Action, facebook.com slash Pro-Life Action, and you can find the Pro-Life Action League and see what we're doing. Thank you, Eric. Greatly appreciate it. If you have a legal need or a question or want a perspective on a local Christian, uh, with a local Christian attorney, contact us at Malkin Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243. Again, that's 312-726-1243 or at mautbaker.com, M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. We are a Christian law firm based in Chicago serving churches, ministries, business, and individuals. 